The following program was made possible by the generosity of those who have determined to hold fast to the true Roman Catholic religion, as expounded by the Roman Catholic Church before the disasters of Vatican II and the so-called New Mass. Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. Come, Holy Ghost, fill the hearts of thy faithful, and kindle them the fire of thy love. Set forth thy spirit, and they shall be created, and thou shalt renew the face of the earth. Let us pray, O God, who didst instruct the hearts of thy faithful by the light of the Holy Ghost. Grant us by that same spirit to be truly wise, and ever to rejoice in his consolation. Through Christ our Lord, Amen. May the divine assistance remain always with us. And may the souls of the faithful departed through the mercy of God rest in peace. Amen. O Mary, seat of wisdom, pray, pray for, for us. us. Let it be the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. Amen. Hello, and welcome to What Catholics Believe. I'm your host, Thomas Nagley, and with me tonight is Father William Jenkins. He's a member of the Society of St. Pius V, and he's also the pastor of Immaculate Conception Church right here in Norwood, Ohio. Hello, Father. How are you? Very fine, Tom. Thank you. And yourself? Well, well, Father, thank you for being here. Yeah. Uh, Father, I thought we could start tonight with uh, some big news of the day where Francis gave, apparently, uh, the relics of St. Peter to mm -hmm. the the Orthodox Patriarch uh, Bartholomew of Constantinople. Apparently, he uh, gave the bronze uh, reliquary that contains nine bone fragments that are believed to be uh, bone fragments of St. Peter. These were discovered in the 1940s. And uh, they, they've been in the Vatican for some time. But what do you what do you make of this, Father, of Francis giving these relics away to uh, the Patriarch of Constantinople? The Orthodox. The Orthodox. Patriarch of Constantinople. Yes, Father. Right. Yep. He's despoiling the Church of sacred things. He has no right to do that. The Novus Ordo Popes have given away. And I say popes, they're, they're the popes of the Novus Ordo, the popes of the New Order, right? They've given away the crown of St. Stephen, right? Um, symbolizing, of course, the triumph of the Catholic Church. They've given away the battle flag captured from the Mohammedan fleet. I think even um, El Sultan, it might have been the actual battle flag from the the flagship of the Muslim fleet at Lepanto. They've given it back to the Muslims. Okay, this is These acts are very symbolic. They're not just acts of goodwill. They're acts of capitulation. They're acts of rejecting the triumph of the church against those who would attack her. And um, they are signals by the popes of the Novus Ordo that their church is surrendering. And uh, the fact that Francis would give fragments of the, of the bones, relics of St. Peter, whom they do not honor as the vicar of Christ, <clears throat> the, first, the first vicar of Christ on earth, whom they do not honor as the prince of the apostles, is uh, a tragedy and it is a sacrilege. Because the relics of St. Peter will not be honored as they should be honored and would be honored by real Catholics. I will say this, though, that these relics are in the excavations under St. Peter's Basilica. And, uh, I, Tom, I don't know if you've been there yet, but you 
should be at some point. But I take the students, our Immaculate Conception Academy students there, on a regular basis for their class trips. And in fact, we're supposed to be going there uh, to Rome uh, after Easter this year. And the most important thing we have to do is to visit the relics of St. Peter in these excavations under St. Peter, under St. Peter's Basilica. <clears throat> For those who aren't aware of this, uh, a tomb was being uh, prepared for Pope Pius XI, and this required uh, some uh, drilling through the floor, excavation through the floor of the present Basilica of St. Peter's. And the workmen actually broke through into the level of the earlier Basilica of Constantine, because the present St. Peter's Basilica is built over right, the earlier Basilica of, Saint, of, of Constantine. And uh, they took the matter to Pope Pius XII, and he told them to continue digging, but there must be absolute silence and secrecy about it. It was during World War II. And so the work went on in absolute secrecy. And only a very small handful of people knew about this. And uh, so in the course of time, they excavated uh, down through the level of the Constantinian Basilica, all the way down through to the level of the Vatican Hill at the time of St. Peter. And they, they actually followed the archaeological clues that tradition uh, gave them. And they, they, they uh, discovered the, the red wall, as it had been spoken of, hundreds of years before. And they dug around that, and they came to the Trophy of Gaius, which was described by a priest visitor to the relics of St. Peter in the year, I think, 150, 160 A.D. And they did, in fact, discover the, uh, the skeletal remains of St. Peter that had been uh, saved and enshrined there in a, in a in a certain way, I won't go into great detail, because uh, uh, Madame Signora Guarducci, Signora Guarducci did a, a great deal of, Margarita Guarducci did excellent work on that. Her book on the subject is, is phenomenal in its completeness, in its incisiveness. And so uh, she was actually the one leading the, arche the archaeologists in this search. So she would be the top authority. And there are others also who have uh, a great deal to say about it. But I'd say of all those involved, she certainly would be the first one to read. In any case, um, the tour of the excavations under St. Peter's now is very limited. The last time I was there, they had an absolute maximum of 300 people total they could take down each week. And uh, tours numbering at most a dozen, although they would make exceptions um, up to about 15 if they had to, you know. But um, also, they don't allow children, uh, you know, under the age of 14, 15 years old down there. But it's fascinating. One has to, one has to reserve this going to the SCAVI uh, website at the Vatican uh, months and months in advance. In fact, once uh, I was trying to make reservations months in advance for our group and found that it was impossible. And I thought, well, 
when we get to the, the Vatican, we can inquire and they'll probably find a way to get us in. But it just so happens that when we were in Rome that, at that time, I bumped into one of our dear friends from Cincinnati, whose children, actually, whose uh, siblings actually attended our school. And she was over there with a friend, a friend who is one of the guides through the excavations. And that, ex that guide was trying to uh, secure reservations for her own parents. And even she, as a guide, could not get reservations for her own parents. So I figured that's, that's pretty uh, demanding there. Okay. Um, so it, it's something that one should definitely do while they're in Rome. Even if that were the only thing that a person did in Rome, that would be worth it doing, making the trip just for that. But it has to be reserved well in advance. Um, so when one got down there, what they do is they, they actually take you down through the level of the Constantinian Basilica, the original basilica on the site, under the present St. Peter's Basilica. And they actually take you down below that, to the level of the Vatican Hill. And, of course, now you've got <clears throat> the, the remains of one great basilica and the standing other great basilica above you. And you're actually following a narrow pathway along the fronts of what are essentially pagan tombs, uh, which would have been on the surface of the Vatican Hill. At the time, St. Peter himself was crucified in the surface of Darrow. And uh, they, they retrace the steps that the archaeologists took, and they lead you to the place where they discovered the remains of St. Peter. And then you're invited to pray, and we always, we always kneel down, and we pray the confidio, we, we pray the credo, I'm sorry. We pray the credo together, and uh, it's always a very moving moment. I'd say it's one of the highlights of the, all the trips, certainly, to pray the, the credo there. And um, the fact that the relics that were given to this um, patriarch, the Orthodox uh, leader Bartholomew, were taken from among those relics and given to him, I would consider a sacrilege. But were it not for the fact that the, the pilgrims are there, and not just gawking as tourists, but there are those who pray there. And pray as Catholics. I would say if they were merely relics in the hands of Francis, that there's really no difference between Francis having them and Bartholomew having them. It's kind of a toss-up, really. In fact, Bartholomew might have more faith, if you can talk about faith that way, in you know, increments, um, than, than Francis does himself. You know, so... It does surprise me that Francis would do this because he's he's despoiling the Catholic people of their faith, those who still have the faith. Mm -hmm. And um, he's given to sacrileges, he's given to blasphemies. And uh, the Novus Ordo uh, adherents who follow him have decided there's absolutely nothing they can do about this. Um, so um, I would say as a Catholic, I mean, he should be stopped. But um, they they are powerless to reduce to reduce his uh, depredations of the church's welfare. But look look at what has happened here all these years, right? Since the Novus Ordo has come out, right after Vatican II, um, churches 
great, great churches have been uh, despoiled of sacred things. The altar stones with the relics of martyrs have been ripped out of the altars. The altars themselves and sometimes have been ripped out of the churches. In any case, even if they've not been left in place, they've been replaced by, by tables. Okay. Uh, statues have been taken and smashed. The uh, patrimony of the church and her sacred books have been taken and thrown in the dumpsters and carted off to be burned. Uh, the entire church is despoiled of all manner of sacred things. Not to mention, well, not, not the least of which I should say, should be, of course, the Mass. Look what they've done to the Mass. They've replaced it with this communion service, uh, which is not even holy communion. Um, and, uh, well, you know, those who believe it is uh, see the host handed out and they know particles of the host are falling on their, where they're walking. And they, they're used to defining the best sacrament, even in the process of receiving it, at least in their own minds. <clears throat> okay. So this is what has become of the Novus Ordo. So I guess the giving away of relics of St. Peter himself is symbolic, uh, certainly, of the big picture with the Novus Ordo, mm -hmm. but it's consistent with the entire uh, progress of the Novus Ordo. It was just a matter of time. So do, do you see any kind of deeper symbolism here, you know, giving away the relics of St. Peter, the, the first vicar of Christ on earth, um, just giving those away to some non-Catholics? Do you see a, a connection there between mm -hmm. that and what Francis is, is doing with the office of the papacy? Totally I do. I, I think the connection is definitely there. and I think anybody who's paying attention would make that connection. Tom, you did, right? You made that connection because you're paying attention. That the, the symbolism of that is not just despoiling the church, but he um, he is giving away the relics of, the relics of Saint Peter, and that is a measure of his contempt for the office, the true office of the true papacy. Mm -hmm. And and Father, I thought it was fascinating to to read some of the quotes from here. The uh, this patriarch Bartholomew, he was totally surprised by this. He said, "This is uh, this is more than what we ever could have hoped for. It's incredible." He calls it a brave and bold initiative of, of Pope Francis. He says, uh, "This one just terrifying." He says, "This is another gigantic step toward concrete unity," mm -hmm. and that is just um, that's incredible. Yep. We're going to have concrete unity. Delivering up CPU. what's supposed to be the Catholic Church with this. Uh, Mm -hmm. non-Catholic Orthodox. It's uh, sure. incredible. Incredible. What a mess. <clears throat> Indeed. Indeed it is. But uh, people have to realize that uh, <clears throat> Francis is the Pope of the Novus Ordo. He's a modernist. Yep. Absolutely. <clears throat> right. And uh, that's what they have to expect from him. And as long as they attribute to him um in uncontroverted power, as long as they attributed to him to him uh, unquestioned power, then he has. They are they are empowering him to despoil the church. They are empowering him to uh, plunder the church. Right. But um, once they plunder the church of the mass, once they plunder the mass itself. Then everything else is. What is it? I mean, it, it's almost a foregone conclusion. Right. Right. Um, and that's what they did with their their new liturgy. They plundered the mass, and nothing is sacred. 
nothing is sacred to them. <clears throat> Except, perhaps, illegal immigration, climate change, the Amazon rainforest, the multiplicity of religions, and all the things that are not of the Catholic religion, you know, <laughs> but uh, nothing of the Catholic religion is sacred to them. Sure. All right, well, Father, I wanted to get into a couple emails if we could. We have a really interesting one here that I thought is a great, great topic for discussion. Um, it's from a viewer who asks if uh, in your opinion, Father, if it is immoral for a Catholic to invest in stocks and mutual funds, uh, he says that my financial advisor has specifically recommended I open an investment account that is directly linked to the S&P 500, which, as we all know, contains a conglomerate of businesses that create, support, or promote immorality in society. So he wants to know, Father, would I be formally or materially cooperating with evil, or am I just being too scrupulous in this matter? Well, if one were to ask, would it be sinful to make such an investment, I would say no. I would say no insofar as the actual uh, cooperation in any evil they do is uh, very removed. Um, If if they were given entirely evil and that's all they did, okay, then I would say that's a different matter, okay? But um, they, these are legitimate businesses, and they do legitimate things, okay? The fact that they are involved in other, other activities, uh, supporting causes that we can't approve of, um, right now, I think it would render one, uh, it would absolutely paralyze one um, if, if one uh, held the standard that I cannot even second, third, or fourth generation removed, you know, um, support anything, contribute to anything in any way that does something evil. Now, of course, we know from the book of the Apocalypse that the day will come when those who are faithful to God will not be allowed to buy or sell, and they'll be simply banned from the marketplace, okay? They'll be excommunicated from mankind, okay? This will be in the time of the Antichrist and his minions. And, uh, but that is the way, their way of handling this. So we, uh, that is what they will do to us, okay? Obviously, there is a certain responsibility uh, insofar as uh, if one does invest in something that is just, you know, out and out evil, then we can't do that. But to make an investment in, uh, well, for example, I mean, uh, can you have... Uh, money in a bank account. Well, check and see what that bank does, uh, what its policy is. Does it have a corporate policy to support this or that activity? Uh, I think they'd find that, yes, most of these banks do have some connection with some immoral activity that they they support. Um, Perhaps they leave it up to the individual branch of the bank. I think think you're still going to find that something similar, you're still going to find that there's somehow entangled there, somehow. And if they uh, are holding, because when you make a deposit in a bank, the bank, because of the fractional, fractional reserve system, is able to invest your money. And you don't say, you don't even know where the money is being invested. So can you do that? Can you have your money held by a bank now? 
do you have to find out what they're doing with it and where the money's going? You know, and if they find out that it supports anything that is wrong, is immoral, you have to pull it out of the bank and go find the bank that would work. You know, now there are people, admittedly, who just don't want to give their money in the bank at all. Okay, understandably so. But uh, there are reasons why small businesses do need to bank, right? And um, one might also make the same argument about paying taxes. Uh, because the United States government is has been involved, right, in supporting things that are immoral, right? And um, depending on who is the president and who's in uh, legislature and uh, who's in the courts, that can grow or shrink, right? Uh, but it's the immorality. But there's always going to be some public use of money that is not good. Yes. <laughs> So must we, therefore, refuse to pay taxes on the basis of the morality of it? Or is it moral to pay the taxes? Would it be sinful to pay taxes? And the answer is no. Okay. Um, <clears throat> you know, there's a kind of a, a tipping point, though, clearly, you know, where uh, if one sees that my uh, contribution is making the difference, you know, or making a great difference as to whether this evil can be done or not. That's another issue. Mm -hmm. Then uh, the responsibility has grown enormously, okay? But if one sees that my input is quite negligible in terms of the outcome, and it would be negligible either way if it were given or not, <clears throat> it wouldn't change anything essentially that it wouldn't be uh, immoral to invest in these things. Okay. <clears throat> um, that has to do with, well, if, is, it, is, it, is it sinful to do it? Okay. Is it immoral to invest like that? Um, you're talking about mutual funds and things like that. But, um, you know, as our Lord said in the Gospel, I mean, there's... Uh, when the when the young rich young man came and said to him, "Must what must I what done do to have eternal life?" and our Lord said, "Well, obey the commandments." And he, the young man said, "Well, I have since my childhood." And then our Lord says, "Well, if you want to be perfect, then do this: sell all you have and come follow me." So our Lord Himself made the distinction between what is necessary to save your soul and what you should do, what you must do to be perfect. You don't have to be perfect to save your soul. To enter heaven, you do. Right? And our Lord told them where imperfection lie, uh, lies here on earth, and that's leaving everything behind and coming and following our Lord. Now, having said that, yes, this would not be uh, sinful to make an investment in a mutual fund. Uh, I would say that uh, the highly principled thing to do would be to simply invest in what you know is untainted by evil. Such it as what? Well, I don't know. I don't know. I, I, I would mention earlier Chick-fil-A, but I understand that's privately held. But that's that's a private company, right? But on top of that, I mean, somebody would say, well, that's not a Catholic company. It's a Protestant company, and they use the money to support Protestant causes. So even there, I mean, you'd find some objection, I'm sure. So uh, it would be almost impossible to find anything that would not raise some objection somewhere, somehow. 
okay. if you're going to invest. And it's not immoral to invest in itself. So, mm -hmm. um, so anyway, uh, one should use some discretion where one can, clearly. If one has discretionary powers to say, okay, I want to invest in, in this set of companies only, but not in others, or I can blacklist some and say, I do not want to invest in this, this, and this, and this, mm -hmm. then that's what they should do. Okay. Yeah, Father, a related question that comes up a lot, especially here in this area, is the uh, the morality of, of uh, doing business with, with certain companies that are notorious for their uh, immoral beliefs and the immoral yeah. causes that they support, and that's a really prominent problem here in Cincinnati. And I believe you've explained along the same lines before that, well, if it's possible perhaps to avoid these companies on that basis, sure, that, that would be a, a commendable thing to do. But uh, it's not sinful to do business, to shop at these stores, to bank with these banks, to purchase products from these from these companies. Well, I myself have actually been ser searching for banks in the Cincinnati area uh, that are untainted by any support of the LGBTQ... RSTV lifestyle, right? <laughs> How's that uh, so going? Called, uh, it has not been very successful. <laughs> it's it's almost impossible to find yeah. a. Yeah. And if they tell you today they have no connection, tomorrow they may well mm -hmm. have connection. Mm -hmm. It's a problem we run into. And um, also um, the uh, abortion. You know, uh, you, you try to avoid companies that support Planned Parenthood, right? right. And um, but I do a lot of flying. Uh, commercial air flights are uh, in my life, three or four flights a week, often. And um, you know, if I fly Delta Airlines, I'm flying with an airline that has some very uh, well. It's rated very highly by the LTB. L <laughs> yes, that one. The, the homosexual is very corporate friendly. Um, catering, almost right. pandering to them. So, uh, now does this mean I should eschew flying Delta Airlines? I have almost 4 million miles racked up with Delta Airlines, and I'm going to offer Mass and administer the sacraments uh, often to the dying, right? And uh, so, in that sense, um, uh, Delta is providing its service, and I must say that has, it's done very well, you know, uh, over the years. And uh, but um, uh, you know, use it for what good you can, you know, mm -hmm. for the benefit of souls, right? Mm -hmm. The blessing of God, of course. Um, so it is not sinful to fly Delta Airlines because of their corporate policies. But um, it certainly would be sinful to promote the corporate policies deliberately, openly, willingly, in other words, gratuitously. Mm -hmm. That okay. would be wrong. Okay. Father, you have a uh, related question asking if you could just kind of, in general, give some uh, guidelines on responsible spending from a Catholic perspective. From a, a householder? Mm -hmm. Just a, okay. <clears throat> Ordinary person, okay, well, the first thing one has to do, I mean, is if one has money to spend, okay, the first thing they have to they have to pay is their debts. They have to pay their debts, right? It's an obligation and justice to pay their debts, right? 
and they are forbidden absolutely to go into debt beyond that which what they what they can reasonably reasonably pay back. Okay. So um, the very first <clears throat> uh, amount of money that comes out of whatever treasure they have goes to pay their debts when their debts are due. Okay. And uh, after that, I mean, they actually, I think, re re responsibly, okay, uh, should set aside money for charity. Okay. They're obliged as Catholics to support their pastors, to support the churches, right, that they belong, belong in and that they belong to. And it's an obligation. It's, it's a church law that they contribute to the support of the church, right? And uh, also charities as well. They should um, put aside some amount of money for savings, okay? Whatever a reasonable amount that is. I mean, there are, them, there are some who w would basically have enough to pay off the bills and have very little left. Mm -hmm. They wouldn't have much to give to charity and they wouldn't have much to put away in savings. Mm -hmm. But especially if, if there are parents who have children and they need to uh, put, you know, provide for their welfare, that's a matter of more than paying the current bills. That's a matter of putting away savings for them, for the children, right? For their future needs. And uh, so that's very important to save, save for that. And um, then, of course, the husband and the wife talking about a family, a married couple, should give each other, they should give themselves an allowance that they agree on. Because they each need money, they gotta buy gifts and so on. And um, they should not operate out of separate bank accounts. I mean, they should share the bank accounts and access to the money. They, if they don't, if they can't, because they don't trust each other, then that's a very bad basis for a marriage, yes. clearly. Um, but they should also set a limit as to how much either of them can spend without consulting the other. You have to agree on that, you know, like, so that he knows and she knows the other will not spend more than a certain amount of money without consulting the, the, uh, the spouse. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, these, these are very basic rules, okay, that are common sense rules, really. Yeah. Um, there should be one who's actually designated to oversee the whole process, of the income, right, and expenses and... Uh, payment and so on, but the other cannot be passive. The other has to be brought in to that whole process and know what's happening there, okay? And um, not only be conversant with what's happening, uh, but also, you know, understand the issues involved. Uh, if, if, one, if, if one spouse is handling all of these financial transactions for the family, and then that spouse becomes debilitated, in some way, or dies. Uh, it's a terrible predicament to be in with the other spouse, not knowing even where the insurance policy is, you know, or where the stocks and bonds are, are, are locked up, <laughs> like that. So um, <clears throat> they really do need to uh, communicate on this subject. One of the six principal reasons why people have trouble in marriage is money, dispute about money. And it could be that they have too much and they go hog wild, spending it uh, frivolously, or too little. And it's hard to tell which is worse, <laughs> right? 
because if the kids grow up so that they have everything they they want, not everything they need, but everything they want, um, they don't value anything. They don't they don't uh, appreciate anything. Okay. They think it's normal just to snap their fingers and get what they want. That's very deadly for the spiritual life of a child and the maturing of a child. Uh, or with anyone, I mean, even a grown man or a grown woman is corrupted by that. So, um, so they have to exercise a certain amount of uh, of restraint, and you know, our Lord made it very clear that, uh, regardless, we do need to have a spirit of detachment from material things, and that doesn't mean that you have to be actually poor. It means you have to be poor in spirit, which means that you cannot uh, make your life revolve around material possessions. Uh, because if they, you do, they will bury you alive in this world. And uh, the, whether you're rich or poor, you can be uh, grasping and greedy, right? Some, I mean, the, the poor might not have as much in terms of quantity or quality of material things, but they can be very, very attached to them uh, and become very miserly. Yeah. Uh, whereas the rich can have a great deal, but they can also be extremely generous. And they can also uh, regulate their passion for uh, ownership and control of material goods so that they, they live a very frugal life, not extravagant life. They may live in nice houses and drive nice cars and so on, but they're not ostentatious and they do not go out of their minds over material things. And uh, it is the charity part, the, the generosity part that is so important with them. I know families who are very well-to-do, who uh, take not only send, but take their children on missions to third world countries to work with the, the, the great poverty and great deprivation to show them, uh, to have compassion on others, give them their time and resources to others, but to appreciate also what they have and not to take it for granted. Father, one thing you, you mentioned that uh, the first responsibility is to pay debts and um should should an individual should one um, tithe and, and make charitable contributions as they are paying off debts uh, at the same time? Because you often run into this uh, where you you will hear from people that will say that while I'm not able to tithe, I'm not able to make contributions to to my church to the support of the church because I'm trying to pay off my student loans or, or whatever it, it may be. So would you say that they must first pay off all their debts before they begin making charitable contributions, or should they do the both uh, simultaneously? Well, you see, charity is one thing. Justice is another. What they owe in justice, they have to pay. That that comes first. Okay. Yeah. One cannot say, well, I'm giving them any charity, so I'm not going to pay any of my bills. Um... You know, the, the Jews had a practice called uh, something they put the money in the korbanam, our Lord said it, um, that they took the support they should be giving to their mothers and fathers and contributed it to the temple instead. Mm -hmm. And he can, yeah, Lord, our Lord blamed them for that. Why? Because they owe in piety to their parents. They can't just take it from their parents. 
contributed, you know, gratuitously to the temple. But so that being said, I, I do want to point this out, that people should feel obliged to, to contribute to the church. It's not a matter of charity when they give to the church. It's, it is a matter of justice. It, our Lord says, the laborer is worthy of his hire. When, it's, when he sent out the apostles, when he sent out the 72 disciples, he told them, you know, he would have said before you, the laborer is worthy of his hire. You know, the, the, you are owed this upkeep. Our Lord told them. And St. John Bosco in our own day made it very clear that this is not merely a matter of charity, you know, when you contribute to the church and the church's good works. This is something you as a Catholic actually owe. So I would say, yes, pay the bills, the utility bills and the mortgage and all the rest, but consider the, um, the contribution to the church not to be merely a matter of charity, but it's something that is really owed by a Catholic person. It's required by the law of the church to contribute to the support of the church. Now, clearly, I mean, if, if I had somebody come to me and say, Father, I have these extraordinary expenses if... Uh, I couldn't even I couldn't even feed my family if I paid off all my bills, tithe. And, well, of course I'd say, of course you can't tithe. Rather, I mean the church is actually supporting people and helping them feed their families and or buy their medications or something like that because of the circumstances, the economic circumstances they're in. Some of it, of course, due to the economy of the present day. Um, <clears throat> so. You know there there are there are requirements that come first. Well, you have to take care of your family, you have to feed them, right, clothe them, shelter them, and so on. And that's really all part of uh, paying the utility bills because that's what you're doing when you're paying these bills. Um, you're paying the bills for shelter and, of course, water and electricity and other things that are now well, we'd have to call them almost necessities of life, uh, current modern day life anyway. Um, so, um, you know, if there's a problem where somebody says, uh, realistically, well, I can't afford to pay all the bills I've got, um, and, uh, tied to the church and still feed my family. Um, now one might say, well, okay, the bills you've got, are they extravagant? I mean, if you just bought a you know, one and a half million dollar home, you know, in an expensive area and you know, you just got it over your head because you were profligate with the money or what? Nonetheless, I mean, if the obligations are there, the obligations are there. We as priests understand that. We have obligations too. We've got churches to maintain, and it's expensive, right? We've got employees to pay off of it, teachers and so on. And they have to pay their bills, and we understand that. We have to pay them so they can uh, meet their obligations in justice, just as our congregations have to make sure that the church can meet its obligation in justice too. So, uh, but we, we do help each other and, um, by the grace of God, it, it works, you know, but, uh, one has to start out by being very responsible in the way he spends money and, uh, and not overextend because, uh, even people who are who are very well-to-do, wealthy, rich people, get themselves into serious trouble. They may be millionaires one one day and you know be destitute, you know, a month 
a month later, just because of the um, their imprudence and their greed, avarice, and so on. So, um, yes, the, the, it's very important these days for a man and a woman who are planning to get married to really take a good read on how the other one thinks of money, how the other one spends money, the spending habit. And, um, and to come up with a very good plan, very good budget. You've heard of Dave Ramsey, of course, right? Dave Ramsey kind of specializes this on national radio to advise them on how to get out of debt, stay out of debt, and be responsible in, in the way they spend their money. And uh, I'm no financier by any means, but it seems to me that he's got a good program and he's teaching, trying to tell them to do the right thing. Sure. Okay. So, uh, but uh, in any case, Tom, I, uh, I hope, I don't know that that is any help. I think so. <laughs> uh, but if people have any further questions, mm -hmm. uh, specific questions, I would be glad to take them to people who know answers to these things. Okay. <laughs> glad to follow up for them. Sure, sounds good. All right, well, Father, I'll let you go with that. I know you got a busy schedule ahead of you. Just finished the, uh, the women's and men's retreat. Mm -hmm. So uh, time to catch up a bit. So thanks for being here tonight. Appreciate well, it. you're very welcome. God yep. bless you. Yep. Thanks to all of our viewers as well for watching this episode of What Catholics Believe. Until next time, we ask that you all remember the words of Our Lady of Fatima to consecrate yourselves and your families to the Immaculate Heart of Mary and also to pray and do penance. Thank you and God bless you.